go to the Lord once more and ask him for his mercy as we, as we seek to hear from his word. Father, we do pray now that you might give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe your word. Father, we, we acknowledge that we need help. We don't have life all figured out. Father, we are, we are prone consistently to, to have hearts that wander and Lord, to walk away from You. But Father, we know that You have given Your Word and Your Son and Your Spirit to teach us about You that we might know, Lord, how, how we ought to live and, and what it means to, to give You the glory that You deserve. So we pray, Father, that You would indeed speak to us through Your Word this morning. God, give us grace, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well... I didn't always used to be a preacher, and certainly didn't always used to be a Christian. And before I was a Christian, uh, one of the things that, that marked my life was that I was a liar. I lied to everybody about everything. I lied to my parents. I cheated on my girlfriends. I, I'd say one thing to one friend say another thing to another, I was a liar. You see, I I learned early on in life that that if I wanted wanted to get people to think of me in a certain way or if I wanted to get out of trouble, that what I needed to do was in conversations, I needed to basically avoid the truth. I needed to leave out some incriminating details or maybe add in a couple things that maybe look, made me look a little better. I basically learned how to how to live a big lie. That was, that was my life. I, I learned to get what I wanted by being deceptive with my, my words. But when I became a Christian, something happened in me. I haven't even seen the movie, but do you remember a Jim Carrey movie a couple years ago, Liar, Liar, that came out? He was, a, he was a lawyer, and all of a sudden he up and couldn't lie anymore, and he's like, Boop. it was like something happened to him. Well, when I became a Christian, something happened to me. Telling lies and being deceitful and living, you know, living with a mask and all of that, it just wasn't easy for me anymore. Something was happening in me when I would tell things that weren't, that weren't true. As I came to read through the Bible, I understood that God's Spirit was dwelling in me and that He was conforming me to the image of Christ and that, that lying just wasn't working anymore. I remember a particular scenario where this kind of came to the, the, the front of, of, of my recognition, and that was during the, the end of my junior year at Virginia Tech. So I had become a Christian at the beginning of my junior year over Christmas break-ish, somewhere in there. And during my, my junior year, I was taking a class called Business Law, and uh, our professor was known to be kind of a shady guy. He was, he was known for in class giving tips of how you can make some, some dirty money and, you know, you can do some loopholes in business and kind of things would be all right. Well, about three months after becoming a Christian, I was, I was taking a test. And I was going through the test, doing fine. And then I came to a section that I just didn't know. And so I did what I just normally did. I cheated. Kind of did the stretch, peered over. And I wrote down the answer that I stole from my neighbor. I think I did it once or twice. And then at the end of every test of Virginia Tech, you've got this thing that you've got to sign. It's called the Code of Honor and Ethics. And basically what that means is when you sign this, you're saying that what you're turning in is your work. And I remember when I signed that, that my heart smote me. And I knew that I was a lying dog. So I left there and I was like, all right, Jesus, no more lying. I won't be cheating anymore. I won't be lying anymore. I promise I'm done with that. And God's like, good. I didn't hear that, but that's good. But, but he didn't leave my heart alone. That whole weekend, he, he haunted me. So after a heavy-hearted weekend, I emailed the prof and said, hey, can I come in? Went in on Monday morning, sat down at his desk, and I... Uh, I said to him, I said, Prof, i got to let you know I cheated on your last test. And he looked at me with a crazy eye, and he goes, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I said, I'm a sinner, 
and uh, I'm prone to lying, and I lied, and I cheated, and I thought I should, should tell you. And he goes, no, I mean, what's wrong with you? He goes, why'd you tell me you cheated? He goes, you got away with it. And I was like, well, I said, because I'm a Christian now, and, and I, I, I want to honor God with my life, and lying and cheating is not a way to honor God with my life, and I know that even if I got away with it on your test, that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for everything. And dude was confused. He was just confused. He's like, why are you, I, I still don't understand why you're telling me this. And he said, here's the deal. Thank you for telling me. Hope your conscience is clear. Just go, and we'll forget about it. So, so, so I felt like I did what I needed to do before the Lord, and, and I felt like I was good. But, but that was kind of a, a fork in the road for me where the Lord showed me, listen, if you're going to be one of my followers, you, you can't be saying one thing and doing another thing. You can't be being manipulative with your words. You can't have a deceitful tongue. I'm a God of truth. And if you're my disciple, you can't also be a deceiver. God's people are to be a people of of truth. A people who accurately represent who He is in this this world. We are to be honest people. Not people who who make promises and and then break them. Who say one thing but really mean another. Who twist our words and put in details or leave out details in order to kind of skate by with a particular image that we want to keep up. That's living a lie. And as Christians, God has set us free from, from living in, in that way. God is to be honored with the words that we speak. Can your words be trusted? If you have your Bibles, I ask that you join me in the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. So if you don't have a Bible... Um, encourage you to, there should be one in front of you there. Um, it'll say Bible on the front. Just grab one. Uh, we're in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And we're going to be continuing our study here in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to be looking particularly at verses uh, 33 through 37 there in, in chapter 5. And we're going to be talking about what it means to take oaths. And what it means to be honest. Oaths and honesty. Follow along with me as I begin reading here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. We'll go down through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, As we'll remember in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't like some kind of spiritual rock star who's touring Jerusalem and trying to sell out venues where he's going. That's not who he is. He is is the Son of God who has come from heaven to proclaim to the world who God is and what it means to be right with Him. That, that, That to get into heaven, to be right with God, to escape the judgment on the last day has a whole lot more with than to do with just being a good person has a whole lot more to do than just kind of doing the right religious activities and checking off some boxes. Jesus is coming and showing, and no, 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 there's a, there's a lot more than that. It's a lot deeper that God wants our hearts. And one of the things that was hindering the crowd that was there who was hearing this sermon for the first time was the fact that they had been misled. They'd been misled by the religious leaders of the day, these guys called the scribes and the Pharisees. They had come on the scene and they had, they had taken God's word and they had they'd kind of built rules around the rules and called people to, to focus on that rather than on what God really said. And in doing so, they, they took the focus away from people's hearts and what God was really concerned about and they put the focus more on just doing the right things, 
showing up at the right time and the right place, wearing the right stuff, coming, all those kinds of things. And Jesus says, no, it's a lot, lot deeper than that. So, so when Jesus steps up here and gives this, this sermon on the mount, he steps up as the true teacher of God who is going to rightly interpret the law of God so that the people of God can, by the Spirit of God, obey the will of God and thus be pleasing to the Lord and, and, and be ushered into His kingdom on that last day. Jesus is, is teaching what it means to be made right with the Lord. And in chapter, chapter 5, Jesus is highlighting these, these six examples from the Old Testament of ways that the default that these, these religious leaders had been uh, misinterpreting God's word. And he says, you have heard it said this, but I say. And he's, he's simply going through and correcting. We're on the fourth example of that this morning with the issue of oaths and honesty. Oaths and honesty. And Basically, we'll approach this in a familiar pattern. If you've been here with us, you, we're going to have three things. You're going to see that we're going to see first what the Pharisees taught about oaths and honesty. So what the, the religious leaders were teaching, what the people would have understood that God wanted. Then secondly, Jesus fixing that. So what Jesus teaches about oaths and honesty. And then thirdly, how we in particular should think about this issue of, of oaths and honesty. Okay? Now, I want to I want to I want to challenge you to stick with me. I'll be honest with you. When I first started reading through this, I was like, "Man, that's quite a letdown from lust and adultery and divorce and all these other things and murder." But as you get into this text, I think you will find that this this is quite relevant to our hearts that are that are prone to wander and and to lie. So let's begin first with what did what did these Pharisees or the religious leaders teach about oaths? And honesty. Look again at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So, other faithful ways to translate this would be something like, You shall not make false vows to the Lord. You shall not break your oath to the Lord. You shall not break your promises to the Lord. The teaching of the Old Testament was that if you were going to make an oath, you needed to, to keep it. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, what, what exactly is an oath when he's talking about the, this, this idea of an, of an oath here? Well, an, an oath in, in this particular uh, religious context is, is a religious practice in which you, you make a statement and you call God's name to be tied to it in order to show that you're really serious. Okay, so you, you make a statement, and then you invoke God's name on it. So, so I, I swear in God's name about this particular thing. You're bringing God's name on it to, to, to bear, okay? To, to show the, the seriousness of, of your words. So if, if you promise somebody that you're going to be at peace with them back in this day, so you got two parties that have been warring, they're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to peace this thing. We're, our treaty's there now. We're going to swear and we're going to put God's name on this so we're going to keep peace. So we're not going to be sneaking in the middle of the night and do some sneak attack because God's name is on this. You can, you can trust us. They would make an oath in, in that way. All right? So they're, they're calling God as, as, as the witness. Now, in the Old Testament, God allowed oaths to help promote honesty and, and faithfulness uh, among his people. For instance, uh, listen to this from Deuteronomy 16, which Paul read earlier for us. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name shall you swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. So, so to swear, to take an oath, is to call somebody else's name into collaboration with you to attest to what you're saying is, is true. And here what God is saying in that Deuteronomy 6 passage is, listen, there's no other gods, Okay? I'm the one God, I'm it. I'm the only one that you should be should calling my, invoking my name on, okay? I'm the one alone that you should, you should look to. Now, taking oaths was a common practice in the Old Testament. You had Abraham and Isaac who made oaths with um, Abimelech, the king. You had the spies when they went into Jericho, made an oath with uh, Rahab, they should they'd spare her life. 
You got Hannah who made an oath with God that she'd, she'd give her son, who is Samuel, to, to the Lord uh, for service. Jonathan and David made an oath uh, before the Lord to seal their friendship. So you can read through the Old Testament. It's all over the place. People are making oaths. It was a, it was a normal practice for, for God's people. But just because oaths were a common thing didn't mean that they weren't a big deal to God. Listen to this from Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God said, listen, if you're going to make a vow and put my name on it, you need to keep it. If you're going to make a vow and you're going to put my name on it, you need to, you need to keep it. So don't be hasty when making promises, is what he's saying. Ecclesiastes 5 says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So God's saying, listen, don't shoot off at the mouth. This is one of the things that early on I messed up on as a Christian. I remember there were some particular sins that I was struggling with. I was trying to get away from the drinking and the drugs and everything that comes with that, that life. And I remember I made this, this pact. I called it like, I think I called it the breastplate of righteousness or something like that. And I listed out these ten things that I swore to God that I wouldn't do. And I wrote them up and I, I laid it on the table. And I said, God, I promise you I'll never do these ten things. And I swear to you this and I swear to you that. And I remember that by, you know, I mean it had been two months and I had broken nine out of the ten. And I just remember like the guilt and the weight that I was that I had heaped on myself. Because that's, that's an example of, of, it can be an example of legalism, where I had set the standard that God, God hadn't asked me to do that, but I had taken his name lightly, and I had invoked it on that deal. And he let me feel the, the weight of that. And the reason that, that invoking God's name into something is so weighty, listen to this from Leviticus 19. It says, you shall not swear by name, my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Same thing in Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And this gets at the heart of, of why vows were to be made cautiously. Because God's name is tied to your words. And, and when God's people spoke, if they had invoked his name on something, they're dragging God all the way through that deal. His name is, is attached to it. So to, so to take God's name in vain means to, to empty it of, of value by using it flippantly or manipulatively or deceitfully. So if someone says, well, I swear to God, you know, somebody tweets or texts, OMG, oh my God. What that, what that does is it, it empties the name of God of value. It's used flippantly. So if you're not a Christian and you're wondering, like, why y'all uptight when I, yeah, I'm just saying, oh my God, it's not that. I mean, the reason that, that that bothers us, first of all, we're not above that. All of us, listen, I mean, as we work through this, it's going to be really clear. All of us are liars and deceivers. All of us misuse our words. That's going to be really clear as we work through this. But the reason that it bothers us is because, like, we actually believe that there is a God. And we actually believe that, that his son, Jesus, came and died and rose from the dead. And that he died for our sins. And we're really aware that our sins, like we deserve judgment and hell for that. That because God is good and we know we are not, that we deserve to be judged. But Jesus was judged on our behalf and he rose. And now he in his mercy would extend forgiveness to us. So we love Jesus. Like Christians love Jesus. We love God. So when someone takes his name, or when even we take his name and misuse it, it hurts our hearts. That's what the big deal is. So, so when you, someone uses God's name flippantly, it, it empties it of value. So I was, I was looking at CNN right now on their religion site. There's, there's, there's this, this article about like Jesus jokes. 
and uh, how prevalent Jesus jokes are now and you know, kind of walks through all of the Saturday Night Live and the, you know, the Will Ferrell movies and all these different things and, and talking about how this has just kind of become a common thing. And you know what? It's probably a good thing because it lightens us up a little bit about, about religion and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I th- as a Christian, I read that and I see it's just a testimony of the fact that our culture just thinks little of God. And that's why we can make him a, a punchline. So he says, and all of this has to do with, with not, not tying God's name to something that is flippant or, or deceitful or invaluable. The Bible teaches that God's name is tied to his character. And that he is a holy God and that to make light of that is a dangerous sin. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they believed that God's name was holy. And they desperately wanted to uphold the holiness of God. So here's what they did. They wanted to keep the oath system going where you could swear by oaths because that's just what you do. If you're you're a person of God, you you make oaths in God's name. So here's what they did. They said, all right, we're going to come up with a system where you can still swear oaths, but you don't have to run the risk of swearing in God's name because you don't have to use God's name. So maybe you can swear by the temple or the gold in the temple or by earth or by Jerusalem or by the hair on your head or your mother's grave or whatever it is, you can swear by something else and not invoke God's name and it's just, it's not as weighty. It's not as serious. And what happened in them doing that and creating this structure of oaths that didn't involve God's name, they created a deceitfulness among God's people. Where when you're making an oath or you're saying something or you're making a promise, you don't really have to be quite as aware or as real, see it as quite as weighty because you're not bringing God's name into it. They began to really undermine the very thing that they, they valued. They thought that they weren't offending God with their lies. And this is where Jesus steps in and says, yo, we got to talk. Because that is not true. Which brings us to our second point. What did Jesus teach about oaths and honesty? What did Jesus teach about oaths and honesty? Well, Matthew 5, 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus comes in, and with one fell swoop, he just he knocks down their whole, their whole system that they had made up of these, these, these crazy oaths. He said, listen, I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say, and in case you haven't been with us, Jesus is not dismissing the Old Testament. He's not saying, listen, y'all, the Old Testament was wrong. I'm telling you what's right. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was saying, listen, the Pharisees have wrongly interpreted God's law. Let me get you back to the heart of what God was really saying. Let me remind you of what God really wants from you. It's not just this, hey, listen, you've got all your oaths, and you've, you know which ones to say at which time. Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's, that's not what it's about. They have been abusing God's word, and Jesus says that's got to end. So, verse 34, the first thing he says is, do not take an oath at all. Now, this may seem like an odd question, but does that mean that Jesus is forbidding all oaths? Does that mean that if, you know, this is a pressing question for everybody, if, if you're elected president, you know, can you swear in? Or if, uh, if you're called into court, can you, can you swear under, under oath? Can you, um, you know, or, or if, you, if you get married, can you, can you make vows before, before God and before a congregation? Can you, can you do that? Well, we're going to come back to this when we get into the last section. I'm going to give you the short answer. The short answer is, is yes, and let, let me explain. Jesus isn't doing away with oaths altogether. He is correcting their abuse. You have to remember, it was God himself who established oaths, and God himself even used them. Genesis 22, Acts 2.30, one of the passages that we read this morning about God swearing to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about giving the land. Like, God, God 
gave oaths, and he even made oaths. And it says in Hebrews that when God was going to swear, he didn't have anybody else to swear by, so he swore by himself. I swear by myself, because you can't go any higher. Well, and even Jesus. Jesus was called under oath uh, when he was before the high priest in Matthew 26, and he didn't deny. And he said, yeah, this is true. I am the Son of God. I'm the Son of, son of Man, is what he said there. And then in Romans 2, Second uh, Corinthians, Galatians, First Thess, you, you see Paul, the Apostle Paul, using oaths, saying, I, I, you know, I, I, I swear by God's name that these things I'm saying is true, and even calls in the Thessalonians to take an oath about something. So, oaths isn't really the deal. The issue is the heart behind them. The issue is that oaths are not to be used flippantly or deceitfully. Jesus is, is, is combating this corrupted system of lies and loopholes that the Pharisees had come up with. God wants his people to be honest people. To be people of integrity. And to realize that all of life is lived before the face of God. Not just when you're sworn in. Not just when you invoke his name on something. But God wants us to know that we're always living before him. And that's, that's what Jesus is doing here in verse 34. He's exposing the false assumptions that God doesn't really see if we swear by something else. Look back at verse 34. He says, you know, don't take an oath by heaven supposing that you can avoid God. I mean, that's, that's silly because that's where, that's where God is. That's where his throne is. That's where his glory dwells. I don't think you can swear by heaven and, and that God doesn't care. Or don't think that you can swear by, you know, by earth there in, in verse uh, 35 and, and think that God doesn't notice. It's his footstool. It's, I mean, he, he made the earth. His spirit abides here. He's among his people. He shows off his glory in sunrises and sunsets. And his will is done by his people here. God cares about what happens on the earth. I don't think you can swear by the earth and that God doesn't care. Don't think you can swear by Jerusalem there again in verse 35. That's the city of the great king. That's where his prophets have been and where his, his law has been proclaimed all these years for these, the people who are hearing. God cares. And verse 36, don't think you can swear by your head because you, you don't have a power to make one hair black or white because you don't have that power. And in all of this, what Jesus is doing is he wants the crowd and the Pharisees and even us to know that this elaborate system of oaths, where they would, they'd come up with deceitful language, was not escaping the eyes of God. God sees through all of the loopholes and all of the lies and all of the things that we, details we leave in or, or take out or, or leave in. You have a similar thing in Matthew 23. You can look there if you want. It's Matthew 23, verse 16. Jesus calls the, the Pharisees out for this, this same kind of thing. One more example on this. He says there in verse 16, Matthew 23, 16, Woe to you blind guides, which is what he calls the Pharisees, their blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, that's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, yeah, he's bound by what he said. Anyone Verse 17, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? Verse 18, and, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. God says, listen, this is absolutely ridiculous what y'all are doing. Y'all have come up with all these kind of, I mean, all these loopholes. And I see through all of it. I look, the, the whole reason I gave an oath is, is to invoke the reality that your words have weight and there's responsibility that come with them. And to think to think that I only care about what happens whenever you put an oath on my name? You're absolutely, no! I own everything! And I care about everything that happens here in your life. Every word that comes out of your mouth, I see it. 
And his point in all of this is that if we think for a second that we can escape God's eye or be justified in his sight because we're slick with our words, we are sorely deceived. God hears our words and he sees our hearts. And that's why he says in verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. This is back in chapter 5. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Meaning when you speak, speak truth. God calls people to say what they mean and to mean what they say. We are to be disciples, not deceivers. So that's what the religious leaders were teaching, and that's what Jesus said about it. I think it's always important for us to get the original context before we just try to say, like, what does this mean for me? Because we want it to be rooted in these, these truths. But now let's, let's do this. Let's, let's move on to our, our, our third part here, where we're going to think about, okay, how do oaths and honesty, like, what does that mean, what does that mean for us today? Well, it's probably best to start right off and answer the question about whether or not a Christian can ever take an oath. Jesus says there in verse 34 of chapter 5, do not take an oath at all. And then over in James 5, 12, you don't need to look there, but similarly, he says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, there are some Christian groups who, because of these verses, will never make any oath, won't take marriage vows, won't they refuse to be sworn into a court of law. And I think we can see how they get that from these verses. But Jesus' point is not, hey, I'm coming in to try to abolish the law and the prophets. I'm not trying to abolish oaths. What I'm doing is I'm correcting the misinterpretations. I'm correcting the abuse that's been going on around this. He's come to, to fix it. God created oaths, and you know what? Oaths have a good and appropriate place, even in our society. For, for example, if you're sworn in as, as a witness in court to give testimony, you're being called by a judge or by an officer to publicly affirm that you will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. All right? You're sworn in to do that. And, and to tell the court the truth is very important. Why? And David Verhey helped me, helped me to think through this this week. Because your statements lead to results that directly impact others. Your, your statements to a jury may be the one thing that leads to somebody being convicted of a crime or somebody being, you know, paid a settlement that they rightly deserve. And an oath, it simply does this. It ensures the witness... It ensures that the witness understands the weight of their words and the responsibility that comes with that. That there's weight that comes with what we say. It's the same kind of thing when you sign a contract or a deed. There's responsibility that comes with you saying that you will keep your promise. So after church today, if you go out to eat, and you pay with a credit card. Credit comes from credo, your creed. What that means is when you sign a credit card statement, or you, you sign there, you're promising the credit card company that you're going to pay them back for the money that you just borrowed from them. You're signing your name on that. Or if you're taking a public office, it, it's an oath ensures that you understand the weight of your promises and the commitment to uphold that office with honor and integrity because you are held accountable by the people who, who elected you. And that's the key thing with, with oaths. They highlight the responsibility that people have to keep their word. That's why here at Delray Baptist Church, we highlight biblical church membership. We think the Bible teaches church membership. We don't think there's a verse that says, thus you shall be a member of a church. But, I mean, it's very clear when you read through the whole of the New Testament, there's a responsibility that, that members have for one another. And that's why we have formal church membership, which is a process where we, we, we promise one another that we are we're locking arms together and we're running this race together. We promise one another that we're going to help one another fight against sin. We're going to help one another pursue holiness. 
We're going to pray for one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to keep one another accountable for our lives. And that's a good thing because it, it just makes really clear that, hey, being at church, just showing up is not what God wants from us. What God wants from us is to be committed to him and committed to one another in a very real sense. So we formalize that through, through what we call church membership. The heart behind God allowing oaths like this is to promote honesty and deepen faithfulness. So, there are times and appropriate reasons to take a vow or an oath. But, what Jesus wants to be really clear about is that whether we take an oath with God's name on it or not, what we say always matters to God. Jesus' whole point in this section is to make crystal clear that God cares about every single word that we say. And that our responsibility to be honest and and to keep our word is not limited to when we're under oath. Because as, as people, you've got to understand, we've got to understand, we are always under oath. God always hears. He always sees. So, are you an honest person? Seriously, do you tell the truth? Like, let's pull down the screen, and let's, let's hand select a couple of our weeks, and let's put it up on the screen. And let's show, let's show the conversations that we've had, the business deals, the time when when we got in kind of a jam and we tried to wiggle out of it by leaving something out or putting something in, maybe tried to shift the blame, didn't want to take it, are you really an honest person? Verse 37, Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What that means is when we speak, we should be trusted. We shouldn't have to be under some kind of special oath to be seen as reliable. And if we think we do, well, listen, you didn't ask me if I was, if I promised. I didn't promise you I'd do that. I didn't sign no contract. I didn't, you know, whatever it is. If that's the way you you live, we've got to realize that that comes from an evil heart. And, even if we don't say that, but that's what we think, if that's what's in our hearts, that we're prone to be deceptive with our words, it comes from the evil one, the devil, who the Bible says, Jesus himself says, he's a father of lies, which means his native tongue is is lying. And he wants us to be liars as well. He tempts us to to, to be liars. We're tempted to cheat on our taxes, to spice up our resume, to forsake our, our marriage vows, or to make it, those marriage vows not go as far as like, okay, well, I'm not going to commit adultery and I'll, you know, I'll be here, but, but my heart and my mind can wander everywhere else. We're tempted to do shady business deals. Rather than letting our yes be yes and our no be no, we're tempted to to leave out details. I mean, come on. That's y'all, right? Anybody else? I mean, that's me. That's that's me. Like, I want to leave out details. When I get pressed on something, I just want to be like, well, here's about 80%. I mean, you don't need that other 20. That's it's, it's that part that hurts. We want we want to be deceitful because we like ourselves to be painted in a certain light. That same old Garrett for the first 21 years who was just a liar, like old man dies hard. He dies real hard. I still want people to think well of me. I still want my, my life to work a certain way. I want things to be comfortable. And truth hurts. It just hurts sometimes. And if we're honest, it should be good. We're talking about it. We want to dodge it. We want to dodge truth. 
we don't want to we don't want to speak it. We want to paint a prettier picture. And then sometimes, sometimes, you know, we'll we'll say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a half truth. And it's like we've come up with this, this same system that the Pharisees had. It's the same exact thing. We just call it something else. And we assume that because we're not being interrogated by the police or the video cameras aren't on or, you know, we aren't in court that we can skate by without full disclosure. And, and those lies are almost always accompanied by justification. So if you find yourself having to make excuses and justifying things about the reason you don't want to be honest, that's, that's, a, that's a sign that there's something deceitful going on in your heart. With You know, my parents, well, they just couldn't handle the truth. Or, you know, it's better if my spouse didn't know. Or, well, I'm not going to tell my accountability partner this time, but I promise I'll do it the next time. Or my, my boss, my boss wouldn't know, and I, he probably wouldn't care. And, man, dude's getting paid too much anyway. He ain't going to miss it. Or that client, man, they're getting on my nerves. I'm going to, just a little bit here, a little there. We are, we are tempted that way all day long. And that kind of heart, one that manipulates circumstances and harbors deceit where we start telling little bits of truth here and little bits of truth there and maybe most here and most there. What, what that does, though, it leads, it leaves seeds of sin in our heart like a cancer. And we think that we're all right. We're still breathing. Circumstance worked out. We didn't get busted. But the Lord's like, Hello! You might not have got caught now, but you got to know that there's a day coming when I who see everything and hear everything, there will be a day of accounting because you are under oath. You're under oath before me, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who knows your hearts. I know, says the Lord. It's one of the things we've been doing with our children. Um, they, they lie. Our, our line is, listen, God knows. Does God know? And, and we'll ask him, say, what, what did God see? <laughs> Our daughter, uh, she shared, <laughs> Carrie shared that, this this morning. She said, well, why don't you ask him? <laughs> why don't you ask him what God saw? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quick. Um, but he does see. And he does know. Nothing escapes him. And this is precisely what Jesus is warning people about. The pharisaical mindset of telling the truth only in, or the full truth, only in certain circumstances, produces a people that are deceivers rather than disciples. And as God's people, that's not what we're called to be. Everything we do and everything we say invokes God's name. Do you realize that? So, if you're a Christian... If you're a Christian, that means you've got somebody's name tied to you. Christian. Jesus Christ. Jesus' name. You're in him if you're a Christian, which means that now you are a walking billboard for him. You are his ambassador. You are his representative. So that means that everything we do, everything we say, drags his his name into it. And if we live a life where we're telling half-truths and we're lying and we're deceiving, what we are doing is we are taking His name in vain. We're undermining the weight of the glorious One whose name we bear. The One who we say we follow. We take His name in vain. When we say that we are His, but we live as though we're ours. It's a dangerous place to be. And the Pharisees taught that you only really had to be really truthful when you swore an oath. And Jesus says, yeah, well, verse 20, your righteousness has got to be greater than theirs if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We are always under earth, oath. God's eyes are never closed. His ears are never stopped. This means that little white lies before our friends are just as serious in God's eyes as Roger Clemens whomever before the grand jury. 
It's serious. His eyes are always upon our hearts. So when you take a test and you sign your name, you sign a check, you write that credit card slip, you sign a business deal, you are under oath. But you're always under oath. God is interested in every word that we speak. Matthew 12, 34 says this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Which, to be honest with you, so before I was a Christian, that verse would have like really offended me. So you're, you're trying to tell me that if I tell a lie, I'm evil? So now I'm evil. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus says that. He says, if what comes out of your mouth is evil, it's a testimony of what's going on in our hearts. And I tell you, he says, verse 36 on the, of, of Matthew 12, on the day of judgment, people, now listen, this is terrifying. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Did you hear that? Every word we speak will be brought in as evidence on that last day when we stand before God. Every word. There's bad news in that, and there's good news in that. The bad news in that is that if we examine our lives and our hearts and our speech, we become painfully aware that we are not truth-tellers. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that we have deceitful hearts. None of us have been honest in the way that Jesus lays out right here. We have not always let our yes be yes and our no be no. We just haven't. Nobody in here has done that. If you have, please come and talk to me. I, would lo- I'd like, I'd, I want to talk to you about that. Because if we're honest, we've all been deceivers. And that's what part of what Jesus is doing here. He wants us to see you're doomed. Because the Pharisees have set up this system that if you keep this, you're good with God. Jesus says, no, you got to be perfect in your speech, always honest to be good with God. So what that means is on that last day, when we come before God and our words are our testimony, we will either be justified or condemned. And, and my life is riddled with, with lies. And if that's what's going to get me into heaven before a holy God, I'm done. And I will be condemned and cast away from his presence forever. But the good news is that the very one who says these words, Jesus, he came and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is truth. He doesn't just speak truth, but he is truth. And he lived truth. Never lying, never deceiving, wholly perfect, always living before the eyes of God perfectly. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross to take all of our lies and all of our deceits and every other sin that we've talked about and will talk about forevermore. He takes them all upon himself there to receive the judgment and the wrath that that we deserve. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf. That means Jesus became a liar that day. An adulterer, a murderer, he took it all. And he went to the grave. Died the death that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead. Victorious over all those sins. And now, for any who will turn away from their sin and will trust in him, he will give them new life. And he puts his spirit in us, which alerts us to the lies that are in our hearts so that we can confess them and repent of them and cry out for more mercy every day until we see his face. And and now that idea that we will be, by your words you will be justified or by your words you will be condemned, all of a sudden that becomes really good news. Because now our words, our words say, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my hope. And on that last day, that's what God accepts. And not just the right words, hey, I got the answer because I was, a, I was 
Praise God, it was a church that, that Sunday and got the right answer. Like, no, but like we believe that and we trust that and we're del- we know that we need His grace and we're clinging to Him by faith. And we bring that posture before Him and cry out, then there is mercy. And then we'll be brought into that land where there will be no more crying or tears or pain and no more lies. So God wants us to confess our sin, to cling to Christ through faith. But he also wants us to repent. And I want us to conclude by thinking about this. Some of us in here have got to make some things right. Some of us right now, and we know it, we are liars. We've been lying. or if We're not willing to admit we're liars. We have lied. We know it. I've been praying that God would make these things evident in our hearts, that he would expose them. And some of us need to, some of us need to go back and refile our taxes for days gone by. We know we lied. We know we cheated. Some of us need to speak with our employer or maybe somebody we did a business deal with. Some of us need to sit down with our spouse and have a conversation. Some of us need to sit down with our parents and have a conversation. Some of us need to, to talk with somebody at church, maybe. Jesus wants us to turn away from our sin and to make things right. It's called restitution. It's what he wants from us. And I want you to know that God, the same God who gave grace to save us from our sins, will give you and me grace to live out and have these hard conversations and to be able to walk in the consequences that come from them. He is able to help you. And if you find yourself in this situation with something hard that you know you need to talk to somebody about and you want some wisdom or some prayer or some advice, please come and ask one of the pastors. We would, we would love to help you think through how to do that. But the good news is that Jesus comes for liars and that he changes liars into worshipers. May he give us grace. Father in heaven.